0: Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm your host, journalist Holly Rubenstein, and here each week I'll be speaking to a very special guest about the seven chapters in their life's travel diaries. From their earliest childhood travel memory and the first place they fell in love with, to their hidden gem and what's at the top of their travel bucket list, we'll be uncovering their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. Well I hope everyone is having a good start to the week. It feels as though autumn has finally arrived here in London. I'm just back from a week in Puglia, a much more balmy week I should say in the south of Italy which I totally fell in love with. Puglia is a region that has become so popular of late. I know so many people who have travelled there in the last couple of years. Most have loved it. A few people have said that they weren't so keen i think that might depend on where you stay it's quite a big region um so when you're looking at the different places to book make sure that you stay in an area that is near the coast not too far from all the big sites because otherwise you'll have a lot of realistically driving around to do but pulia surprised me in in so many ways we stayed near to savaletri which was a perfect location, just a few minutes from the sea. Big hills, nearly mountains behind you, which I didn't expect because I thought Puglia was very flat. And I was just amazed at how green it was. Palm trees, olive groves, green, green grass, bright flora everywhere. And I was blown away by the hospitality as you would expect from Italy they were obsessed with Isabella we could barely move at breakfast for people stopping to say hi to her she got so much attention still didn't learn to say ciao by the end of the trip which I was slightly disappointed about but uh, she had a wonderful time I stayed in a couple of truly knock your socks off hotels which for hotel lovers I hope you'll be interested to hear about. One that I'm going to be reviewing on here. It will be in my forthcoming family travel episode Borgo Ignazia. Um, I'll tell you more about that on that episode. And then the other was a spot called Maseria Torremaitza which was actually picked by my guest from last season, Alex Polizzi. It's part of her family's Rocco Forte hotel collection and so after we spoke I managed to sneakily get in a few unite stay there and it was a very special place I would say that there were a lot of people there who were on their honeymoon and because it's that kind of masseria feel there are so many masserias around that part of Puglia there small homesteads 10 20 30 rooms very boutique and feel very intimate but the attention to detail there is very very special and Borgo Ignacia. wow it blew me away you might have seen it on the amazing hotels life beyond the lobby series on the BBC at the moment it was on just a few weeks ago I need to watch the episode I didn't want to watch it because I didn't want to spoil the the surprise of visiting it but I can't wait to share more about it needless to say it was a place that was perfect for children And I will tell you more about the region and my experience in a little bit more detail next week. As my guest, coming up next week, coincidentally has just made a TV show all about the region. So that was perfect, and we had a little deep dive into our recommendations. Okay. on to today's guest, this is an exciting one. The Queen of British Shoal, a West End superstar and Olivier Award winner. If you've ever swayed to the rhythms of Beverly Knight's songs like Shoulda, would Coulda, Come As You Are, you know that Beverly's voice has the power to transport you to another world. But what about the destinations that have transported her? She's a seasoned traveller with a passport filled to the brim with stamps from all over the world. And today she's going to take us on a journey through her most meaningful travel experiences from New York to Brazil, Jamaica to the Bahamas with such clear passion for travel. She's got stories that will make your wanderlust soar. So get ready to join us as we explore the world through the eyes and the incredible voice of the one and only Beverly Knight. Beverly Knight. Welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. So lovely to see you. How are you? I am well. Holly, how are you? I'm great. The sun is kind of flooding into the room that I'm recording in, which is a bit of a novelty uh, for yes. us here in the UK, so it's, it's... <laughs> And um it's that kind of back to school feeling at the moment, I feel like in the air. Can you sense it?
1: It's it's that autumnal It's just creeping in a little bit, but it's still sunny. Yeah, we're lucky we've had this Indian summer,
0: haven't we, really? Yeah, yeah. And we seem to be getting that a lot more now. Mm. Have you been traveling much this summer? Where have you last come back from? So um, I have been doing a bit of traveling. I've
1: literally just got back from Turkey. Ah, welcome back. Thank you very much. I was um, at the Dacha Peninsula in a lovely um, hotel down there. It's like a big resort. And um, I was celebrating my friend's daughter's 30th. And so he's a he's a lovely guy. He's a generous guy. Um it's it's uh, Ron Dennis who used to own McLaren. Oh, wow. um, he's a good friend of, of of mine and my husband. So yeah. he flew a bunch of us over to oh, celebrate fun. his daughter's
0: thirtieth, uh, and it was it was fun.
1: It I, was interesting.
0: I've <laughs> not been to that part of Turkey. Like what? What's it like? I I, I know that it's incredibly beautiful. It's funny because in my
1: mind i when i when if you say turkey to me i think of istanbul people busy traffic can't move stunning architecture you know the bosphorus and uh, that's my my abiding image but i know that's not the whole story cuz turkey is a huge country the Dacia peninsula mountains mm-hmm. and the aegean sea and greenery i mean it's so green really so it's quite it's lush it's a lush green mountainous area with water everywhere obviously it's a peninsula and quiet and calm and peaceful and utterly beautiful utterly beautiful it was spellbinding
0: actually I loved every second of it. And were Just you spending it. your time in the water, like out on boats, like swimming? What? How do you love to spend your time when you're away? I was in that water every day
1: uh, at every opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> I spent the entire time on the beach. I'm, I am that person who, if I'm going on holiday, I need the beach and the water. I need that access. Mm. Otherwise, it doesn't feel like... A proper holiday, it almost feels like, okay, I'm probably going to end up working any minute now. You know, someone's going to hand me a microphone and I'm going (laughs) to (laughs) work. If I'm in like a city holiday, for example. Yeah. But when I'm at a beach and the water's there, made even more beautiful with the mountains around me, that's when I know, Bev you're on holiday, you can relax,
0: you can let go. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. You've sold me on that. I'm going to add that to my travel list because that just sounds stunning.
1: So really, I'm really, really glad gorgeous. that you had a lovely
0: time because now <laughs> life's getting busy again. It is. It yeah. really is. This exciting new chapter with your <laughs> yeah. new album and your tour, which will come on to, but actually First, we're going right back to the very beginning because Beverly, we're going on a journey through the seven chapters of your life's travel diaries today, and Indeed. we start at the very beginning of your life, with yes. Chapter One, and that is your earliest childhood travel memory. Oh well, that's
1: that's an easy one. Um, I was lucky enough to to travel a lot as a child. Um, around the UK, but I remember in 1983 when I was 10, yes, I'm that old, um, my mum said, Bev, we're going on a big adventure because you're going to be bridesmaid at my friend's wedding. And I was like, oh, bridesmaid. I was so excited for the dress and everything. Mm -hmm. She said, we're going to New York. And I was (sighs) like, now, I've got to set the scene. I'm 10 years of age. Hmm. It's all about the dress. But on TV at that time was fame and Hill Street Blues. Yes. You know? And these are things that were set in New York City. And that was where I was going. Oh, my God. The excitement. The excitement. I was going to the home of... Night Rider, <laughs> the New York High School of Performance Arts. And we had friends who lived right near, you know, the Bronx, Hill Street Blues. I was going to so see it all. Cool. And so for me going to New York, I flew on TWA, which doesn't even exist anymore. There was yeah. a smoking section at the front. Yeah, you know, <laughs> definitely doesn't exist anymore. I had the um, absolute thrill of going to the cockpit so I could look I mean these things just don't happen looking around at all these switches and buttons and things yeah. and, and looking out the window and looking at the clouds below me I'd never seen anything like this it yeah. was the first time I'd been on a plane um
0: how the, exciting the, the
1: excitement was in overdrive but then arriving at at New York at JFK Airport and the chaos and the madness, and everybody shouting, and you know, and then the journey into NYC itself. Oh my God. (laughs) I mean, I'd never seen anything like it. Yellow cabs everywhere, people everywhere, skyscrapers you know the accent which of course i was already um well versed in performance by then so the first thing i did was try and get the this very specific new york accent of the my new belt. york new york the new, the new york with the new heavy york. tongue you yeah. know <laughs> so i was
0: that is oh absolutely God. nailed it right there uh,
1: <laughs> I, it this place blew me away and because Uh, Knight Rider was in its absolute zenith of course for me in my 10 year old imagination every third car I saw was a Pontiac Trans Am (laughs) Uh, it wasn't it absolutely wasn't Um, but there were you know black Pontiac Trans Ams everywhere and you know and then I was like oh my god look there's Night Rider. Mum, mum, Night Rider's over there. There's another <laughs> Knight Rider. I mean, I was mesmerised by this, this place, you know. And we actually, my uncle, we went to visit my uncle. Uh, I've got loads of family who, who live in New York. And my uncle could see my excitement. So he took <gasps> us on a sightseeing tour. ah <sighs> So, um, he had an old Lincoln Town car. Mm-hmm. Um, and then big, my wide cars. Big, wide car. And so, we're off and we're looking out the window. And he said, you're a performer, aren't you? And I said, yes, uncle. Because this was the first time I was actually meeting my uncle as well. This was a, a lot of my family I'd never seen. We only spoke long
0: distance on On the, the phone. On the phone.
1: Um, Remember those old dial-up phones? Yeah, so, so, so wow, I, so
0: it was so meaningful in many ways because you are also absolutely. connecting with family. That's right. So I yeah. was meeting a whole bunch of family I didn't know,
1: Um, but yeah, we we were in the back of his his Lincoln tanker and we're traveling and we're traveling, and then we arrived at the New York High School of Performance Arts, what you know, the building that it's based on, that 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 fame was based on. I couldn't even speak. I was so. <sighs> Knocked out. So knocked out that I was seeing the home of, of Leroy and Bruno and oh my God and Laurie and ugh, oh, it just thrilling. We drove through the Bronx. Um, you know, and I saw a police car. I've got a picture somewhere of me with a with a policeman looking pleased as punch, you know, and <laughs> Hill Street Blues came flooding back. It was incredible. The Statue of Liberty. And then the thing that really, I haven't even talked about the wedding because to me, the wedding was secondary at this point, even though I was initially excited about the dress. Um, But the the thing that really crowned New York City for me was standing on top of the roof of the South Tower of, yeah, the Twin Mm. Towers.
0: Mm. Yeah. The
1: most, one of my most treasured, memories now is that picture of me my my mum's friend's uh, father um and my cousin with just the blue sky behind us on the roof of the world trade center the south tower mm. who knew what was going to happen all those years later but i still have those incredible those memories. memories and i've got goosebumps thinking, thinking about that. the whole trip absolutely incredible
0: and so when you then landed back in england yeah did that energy that excitement that you experienced seeing like the fame building mm. you know did that spur you on in your you know your your passion for singing and your passion for performance that visit
1: crystallized everything for me Really About where my life and my career was gonna go oh that gives me shivers honest to God mm. Ten years of age, I had no idea how I was gonna get there, but I knew I knew I was gonna make it, even at that early age because the world was not as big and as terrifying um and as remote. You know that the, the idea that I could sing and dance and act—well, not so much the dance, sing, but sing and act—in um, my in my adult years, I, I it didn't seem so far away. The dream mm. wasn't somewhere over there that I was never ever going to reach because yeah. I'd seen it, I touched it, I'd yeah. been there, and I knew I could do it. I and I held that. on to that my entire life until, and it only took you know 11 years later i signed my first recording
0: contract yeah
1: so i mean that was not a long
0: time no <laughs> so, so i mean in terms of that that journey from that moment to, yeah. to signing you know what was in a, in a nutshell like what was the trajectory cuz it did happen quickly it did i went to school full of new
1: york everything was new york and fame and everything and uh through my, my childhood years and, and through my teenage years, going to school, having the Wolverhampton Youth Theatre right there, um, that I could do productions every summer. You know, again, the dream was coming closer. It's coming closer. I was doing lots of performances and productions at school. So I spent all my time, in my opinion, honing myself for this mm-hmm. career that I was surely going to have. And also at church, you know, I had a church background. So I was singing and performing with the choir, with the church band, you know, per- just perfecting everything. Such a good opportunity
0: through. to hone your performance in a church setting as well, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And in an evangelical, you know, Pentecostal church, which lots of people will affectionately call a gospel type church. Mm-hmm. It was music all the way, clapping, singing, you know, drums, keys, bass, um, guitar, choir. We, we were amplified, you know, it was it was a gig every yeah. Sunday. Yeah. So I I got to perfect every aspect and every facet of performance. Um kind of in a in a informal context in church in a more formal context with the Wolverhampton youth theater and my school and all of that crystallized and came together when aged about 19 I was singing in a club in Wolverhampton um it was the birthday party of a community radio station and me being the local talent, I was asked to go and perform and they'd got a big, you know, artist to be the headline act. He was having a um, hit at the time, you know, R&B, soul music. Mm-hmm. His a saw me perform. He travelled ah, with him right. and that was how I got my deal. Wow. He saw me. He said, "I want to talk to you about uh, uh, perhaps signing with, you know, my record label, who I represent. That was Dome Records." I said to him, "I think I'm really good, but if you think I'm really good, you'll wait for me to finish my degree." Wow! Can't believe those. That words is came very out. sensible. I it's sensible, but like, oh my god! I mean, he could have walked away and gone, "She's not serious." Yeah, but.
0: Was that your parents, had they instilled that in you? Like, I need to they get had. my education under my belt. I think.
1: Absolutely. And mm. I was really bookish. I still am. I'm still quite, let's be honest, I'm, I'm still a nerd at heart. <laughs> I, I love study. I love books.
0: The coolest I nerd that I've stuff. met.
1: <laughs> coolest nerd. Come on, singing nerd. But I I wanted to stay on and do my, my um you know, finish my education. Well, up to that point, you know, get my degree. Mm. And my mum and dad were absolutely, you know, you will finish your degree. So I said, you'll wait for me. They waited. And mm. I signed in the final year
0: of my degree. Good for you. <laughs> what an amazing story. Yeah. And the rest was history. And the rest is history. <laughs> Let's pause there, Beverly, and just move on to chapter two. That yes. is the first place you fell in love with. I mean, clearly you fell in love with New York, that's for sure. Oh, there is no two ways about it. New York,
1: to this day, has my absolute heart. I love that place.
0: Mm. Love it. And do you go back a lot still? Yes,
1: Every opportunity. Honestly, I go there and I feel, I don't know, I feel like the all-conquering hero. I feel as though this is the place where dreams happen. This is the place where you can do anything you want. You can be whoever you want to be and no one's going to look at you and go,
0: oh, look at that weirdo walking down the street. Everybody's a weirdo in New York. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. It's you so know? true. And when you get and so when you go there now as grown up, Beverly, rather than little yes. Beverly, um, what are the things that you always do? Are there some? Uh, do you have some spots that you just love to go back to?
1: Yes. So there's a place in Midtown, a place called Tea and Sympathy. It's a British spot. <laughs> she comes all the way to New York to go and eat. Welsh rarebit (laughs) and spotted dick. But because it's in the middle of New York and it's so unexpected, I have to go, you know, if I want a proper decent cup of tea, you're not going to get a decent cup of tea anywhere in in New York unless you go to Tea and Sympathy. It's run by two lovely Brits. Um, So it's the real deal. It's not New Yorkers trying to do something here. It's, Actual Brits (laughs) and they run the place, and it's gorgeous. You can get everything you want. So, if you just want a bit of home for five minutes, you know, go to tea and sympathy, it's great. But outside of there, if you want the real kind of Harlem experience, um, you got to head north. (laughs) If you're in Midtown, you got to head north. Uh, get on that A train Mm -hmm. um, or drive up Amsterdam. um, And eventually the other side of Central Park, you'll get into the world famous Harlem. It is not dodgy and dangerous like people always said it was. It's frankly, it's quite gentrified now. But Mm -hmm. there is a spot on 126th called Sylvia's and it does soul food, Mm -hmm. um, but New York style. So if you want that African-American eating experience, go to Sylvia's, but go on a Sunday where they do a gospel brunch and oh, wow. you can sit around and um, eat, you know, your, your your colored greens and your smothered chicken and, you know, all of that, all that good stuff, uh, your macaroni cheese, pumpkin pie, <laughs> and you will have a bunch of singers come out and sing gospel music while you eat.
0: That is a glorious. perfect Sunday. Perfect it Sunday. It really
1: is and it's only a little hop skip and a jump across the road from the Apollo, the famous Apollo theater um where just about everyone who is anyone has performed especially in the area of, you know, the black music Uh, American experience absolutely everybody's been there absolutely everybody's played there it's glorious absolutely glorious
0: brilliant recommendation and I mean you know as such a veteran of the stage is there a production that you would say that you've experienced Mm -hmm. um, in New York on Broadway that if we were traveling to, to to New York that we just have to see we have to get tickets for let me tell you
1: i first saw the lion king on broadway mm. that was the first time i saw it before i saw it at home at the lyceum i saw it on broadway and i was with all my family maybe it's because i was with all my family um but i won't give too much away for people who haven't seen the lion king but the Opening number will floor you and will bring you to tears. It's the most moving opening I have ever seen Mm. in theatre. Yeah. In my life, you know what I'm talking about. I do. It's-
0: I'm picturing there was um, a clip that went viral after um, the COVID lockdown when the UK cast came back together and mm-hmm. they sung that opening number in a rehearsal space, yeah. and like everyone was in tears. It went viral. Yeah. I shared it on yeah. all of my social platforms. I saw it, and it was just—it's just the most rousing, powerful piece of music, and the also like it's raw. It's so raw. Goosebumps. Oh my god, mm-hmm. again. <laughs> Second <Yeah>. time.
1: <laughs> it's so incredible. I was in tears. I was in tears. Absolute tears. It, it, one number in, and I was in tears. And you know, the the audience, this is New York. The audiences are very demonstrative. Yeah, they're singing. <laughs> they were Moving. absolutely in it and the place. Erupted, erupted after that one number. People were like, hell yeah!
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know,
1: it was just amazing. I would if you if you've never been to a theatre in your life, ever, and and you wanna go, you got a trip to New York, if there's only one thing you see, get a ticket, see the Lion King you'll never look back. You'll go to theatre because you'll want to experience that feeling over and over again.
0: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news, So chapter three, Beverly, is the place yes. where you learn the most about yourself.
1: Yeah. Now, this place is a remarkable and special, special place. You might expect me to talk about home, um, you know, in terms of my roots and my heritage. But actually, I really learned who I was when I went to Salvador in the Bahia region Of Brazil. Mm. I went there with mum. It was a charity trip. I went there with Christian Aid and it was in my capacity as a HIV AIDS um, awareness ambassador. So I was going there to see how the HIV and AIDS crisis had affected that particular part of the world because at the time South America was being decimated.
0: Mm. by
1: the scourge of of the HIV uh, virus and and AIDS.
0: And you lost a close friend also, didn't you? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, that's right. Now, he was still alive. Tyrone was still with us when I went to Salvador. But I just wanted to learn. I wanted to steep myself in the experiences of people who didn't have the same resources as us and, and, and didn't have the same kind of clinic on every turn, you know, mm, mm. Um, and a country which really, really was in trouble and had a government who frankly didn't care. So I went there um, and it profoundly shook me to my core. Some of the things I saw, the people, were warm and welcoming and beautiful. But what it was doing to their communities, um, particularly Afro-Brazilians, who, in terms of their heritage, are cousins, if you like, to people like me who are um, Jamaican origin. You know, we have the same exact history. It's just, to be frank... The slave ship went to there, you know, to Salvador, and another slave ship went to Jamaica, you know. But mm. we had so much in common down to the food, everything. And the experiences of what those people went through just really taught me about how much I have.
0: Gratitude. And how much I
1: have to be grateful for. Absolutely mm. gratitude, Holly. But for the grace of God, you know, I could have been born in one of those favelas in abject poverty, the likes of which I've never seen either before or since. Really? Poverty has a very unique smell. When I went to visit um, a, a community in a place called Lobato, which was a, a very specific um, favela um out there in Salvador, it was built over sewers. Gosh. The smell hit me. I've never smelled anything like it. I can imagine. But the, the people who were there seemed to be, understandably, completely immune. It was their community. They built a life for themselves. Um, if you imagine um, those kind of houses that are built on stilts, mm-hmm. this is how yeah. a lot of the houses were, because obviously it was literally oversewers. So you had to access it up on stairs and, you know, people's houses. And and they invited me in and sat and talked to me about their their um their fight for for, for HIV. And it was the women who led the fight. They were out there fighting for their primarily sons and, and daughters, taking the government head on, you know, challenging them. What were you gonna do for our our, our children? Um And then also the social aspect of it, not just the HIV and AIDS fight, but because these people were seen as the lowest of the low and getting in the way of tourism, they were hidden away. They were persecuted in some cases, Hmm. in, 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 in certain cases, you know, brutally, fatally even. Honestly, that was an eye-opener of a trip. And that made me think to myself, my God, Bev, you have no grounds to complain about anything. (laughs) You, literally the phrase, first world problems. Yeah. Was was just brought to the forefront of my life in that trip. I absolutely love that place. So much so that I wrote a song called Salvador um on an, on one of my albums because it, it just, just affected you so much so much and so deeply it was a it was a blessing of a trip
0: and so from the start of your career you've been championed by some of the industry's all-time legends <laughs> david bowie prince prince in particular i thought just must have been so, I mean, I'm telling you how I think you feel, but I mean, <laughs> how amazing given that I know that you've, you've spoken about how you listened to him growing up and how you, mm. you know, he, how he sh- shaped a lot of your love of music. So then to find out that he was a fan of yours, like how, how did that work? How did that oh feel? Oh God. Prince is, anybody who knows anything about
1: me, you know, knows that I am a Prince obsessive and have been my whole life you know that Prince is all over the walls of my house and I, I mean my poor husband he just has to just <laughs> deal with it he just has to deal with it. But, exactly exactly I always tell people you know Prince was my first husband and then I married James. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I first met Prince in 1999, <laughs> it's love that. Enough. Um, he was over here promoting an, an EP that he was doing. And I met him at the Mermaid Theatre. I was invited to, to, to see him do a showcase. And then after the show, I was taken round to very briefly just meet him, shake his hand. And my life was made. I've met Prince. I could die tomorrow. I was happy. But um, the story didn't end there. I saw him very briefly again. I... Uh, just later on that year, because he was performing on the same TV show as as I was, right. uh, a show called The Millennium Tube, which was celebrating artists and everything of the millennium. Um, and so, there were, you know, Paul McCartney was there. Of course, Prince was there. Nina Simone was there. Um, like...
0: The so ultimate all-star people. lineup. It basically. really yeah. was.
1: It really yeah. was, and it was that there was a Talking Heads panel, and everybody was performing, and it was just a celebration of just how far the human race had come in the past, you know, thousand years, and specifically focusing on pop music and the explosion of rock and roll to the to that day. So Prince was there, and I was aware that he had my album. It's my second album at the time because. The runners were coming up to me saying, Prince has got your album and he's playing it in the dressing room. And I was like, God, he knows he's he's actually taken time to listen to my music. I I was blown away by that. But fast forward 2007. You're talking a good eight years later. I was asked by Prince, but via AEG, the promoters who were putting him on at um, the O2 for a record-breaking 29, 20, 21 nights at the O2, um, I was asked by them if I would open for Prince. Well, you can imagine okay. how that felt. I mean, it w- w- a lifetime highlight? Uh, absolutely. So I did, but it got better than that because after I did my first performance um, opening for him, I got off stage, the band got off stage, his band kind of gave me a lovely round of applause as we came off. And right at the end of the line was Prince. And he asked me, now this is the first time I'm having a proper conversation with him. He asked me if I would join him on stage at his after show party, which was at the Indigo Club, just round the corner from the O2 in the same building, which of course I did. And I joined him a further four times. It Incredible. was absolutely amazing amazing and then he flew me to los angeles to repeat the the experience at his post oscars party with stevie wonder and the great and good of hollywood was there just i i there are no words to explain how that felt to me as a prince obsessive
0: and and this is the chapter where you learned the most about yourself what did you learn from him as a performer Mm -hmm. um being part of these of that larger production not when you were listening to him growing up but actually then Mm. having that connection with him did you what did you learn then the the greatest
1: thing you can be when you're on stage with these people or if you get an opportunity to become you know a global icon is humility and having the grace to be able to share that experience with other people coming up. Prince didn't need to do any of those things. You know, Bowie and and, and Carlos Santana and all these other people who have been so kind to me over the course of, of, of my career. They didn't have to share space with me on a stage. They didn't have to champion me. But when you get to the top, you pay it forward. You Absolutely get behind those people who were coming up. The Mm. way that they got behind me, Mm. that was a huge thing for me. You know, bring people with you. Welcome them in and allow them, you know, yes, the spotlight's on you, but just get that spotlight. Turn it a little bit. Focus some light on these people who are coming up behind you
0: you know and the same can't be said for all mega stars so those yeah. are special ones who who do that
1: absolutely correct and i've never forgotten that mm. i mean he taught me other things about the industry itself the importance of you know staying in control of one's own creative experience and owning your own music you know owning your master's, um, you know, if you're in a position to do so, Mm -hmm. all, all the things which are perhaps more specific to the music industry. But in terms of just a life lesson, it being encouraging of those who are coming behind you and sharing space with them, at that, I will never forget that generosity. Towards me,
0: mm. never, ever, ever will I forget it. Oh. Well, chapter four, Beverly. That is, <laughs> this is, I, this is the hard one for everyone because it's the all-time yeah. favorite destination, which is the place that comes to mind for that. I,
1: I thought about this a lot, a lot, and uh, it's. It, I'm torn because I've been to Jamaica twice. It's the land of my heritage. Stepping on the soil, I had tears in my eyes straight away. A place that I I, I wasn't born there. I wasn't raised there. I know so much about it. I have parents who, born, raised, all everything, came to Britain. But getting on that plane... And going to Jamaica and seeing that place for the first time, I felt like the, the there was a side of me that I didn't quite get and understand as a child growing up, even though I was born in Britain, raised in Britain, all the rest of it. The summit missing. That missing bit was found when I got to Jamaica.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. And
1: so that place will always, always, always Be
0: magic for me. A part of you.
1: It always will be. A place that I I like I said, I wasn't raised there. I wasn't born there. But there's so much of me that is there because it's my background, it's my heritage. Mm. It's we had maps of Jamaica as kids, and my parents would go all the way west and then a little bit south and say, and that's where we're from, you know. St. Elizabeth, Donegal and Springfield in the parish of St. Elizabeth, Jamaica. And when I actually went there and visited my great aunt for the first time and, and saw her and cousins and and just saw the land and then saw the church where my, my father and my mother were both baptised, that my dad had strong ties to right up until his, his, his passing, and then saw the school that both my mum and dad went to. They went, to, so, th- so they grew up together. Your parents? That's absolutely same area, oh. same district. Went to the same school, Springfield All Age Church in 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 uh, Saint Elizabeth Parish. There was so much about it that just made me think, "Oh my god, my life makes sense. I I get it. I get it. I absolutely get it." Um. But then I have to, I have to, in saying all of that, and this really is going to sound cheesy and cliched, but I have to be got London at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, a place that I was not born in, I wasn't raised in London and go to school in London. I now live in London, but memories of coming here every year, because I had, again, massive family, aunts, uncles, Cousins, cousins who I'm very close to, who lived in London and seeing this place, which for me as a as a history nerd, massive history nerd, this place which was history come to life for me. I I love London so much. I love going to Spitalfields. I love seeing Victorian Britain right there in front of my eyes in the modern day, you know, Um, Artillery Row. Folgate Street with the Georgian houses. Do you go to Shad Thames, for example, you know, right near the Tower Bridge? Yeah, Make sure you look up. You're going to see those, um, they look like beams from connecting one building to another. And I remember asking, you know, what that was about. And then went on Google to actually, you know, kind of flesh it out a bit more and found out that was how people got barrels of, you know, whether it be, sugar or whatever, rum or whatever it was, whatever goods, they got them from one warehouse to another by rolling them because these things were slanted. Really? So you could roll them. Oh, how interesting. Amazing. Before the days of having lifts and things and pulleys and, you know, what we would do now. and Just incredible stuff. I mean, I, I cannot tell you how much I love London and how beautiful and special London will always be to me so so you have all
0: time two all-time faves and that is absolutely fine with me (laughs) great great that's all right then and you you know you're spending so much of your life traveling as a musician touring seeing different parts of the world yeah chapter five is your hidden gem which is a place that you love that maybe my listeners wouldn't know so much about it could be a little cafe it could be a city but somewhere that is you think maybe a bit undiscovered where comes to mind for you for that today now
1: (laughs) it's it's known as a place where lots of rich and famous people live and go and yes there are lots of rich and famous people who live there but there's also regular people who live there doing regular things um But if you have the chance to fly to Nassau and then get a little plane from Nassau to Harbour Island.
0: Mm, In the Bahamas. In
1: the Bahamas. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Pink sands. It's tiny. You have golf buggies to get round. All those, you know,
0: those beach buggy kind of.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's how people...
0: And that's how small it is as well, therefore. It's tiny. Yeah. You walk it
1: easily. It's just so gorgeous. And there's parts of it that's still so kind of raw and charming. It's just, it's amazing.
0: It's a beautiful, beautiful little place. Um, Well, I I should say, listeners, listeners, if you are inspired by Beverly chatting about Harbour Island uh, go a few seasons back and you'll find my beautiful Bahamas special with India Hicks who lives on Harbour Island and she brings the island also to life beautifully and gives lots more recommendations so don't forget to uh, go and have a listen to that as well absolutely yes
1: of course India Hicks lives there Um, Dave Stewart lives there lots of lots of Fun folk, and they just just living their lives quietly, you know. Yeah, it's quite it's low key, very low key, and that's what yeah. I liked about it. Quite rootsy, very yeah. rootsy, and very proud of its, you know, Caribbean heritage. You know, they celebrate um John Canoe there, which is a festival, and they parade mm. through the streets. You know, kind of around Christmas time. It's so. It's so rootsy, and so it's not just all oh my god, it's so fabulous. It's not at all. It's um, it's an earthy place where uh, the the history from the Caribbean and then going right back to Africa is celebrated, and and is so important. And it's and everybody who goes there is expected to kind of adhere to that low key chilled way of living and I love that it's really really great mm.
0: yeah oh sounds incredible it, 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 it in contrast to that then <laughs> from a, from the sublime to the ridiculous chapter six is your worst travel experience or the place that you'd never go back to what what have you had a shocker of a travel experience along the way sadly I've had a few shockers <laughs> When you travel so much, it's not surprising yeah, really. I've 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 had a I've I've had several shockers, but a place which
1: lots of people go to, and that I'm gonna have to give another go, but man, I really I don't know. And this might surprise a
0: few people. Chicago. Really interesting. Yeah. So what was it that didn't didn't connect with well, you?
1: Arriving there at Chicago O'Hare. Worst airport ever, I've ever been to. If something's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong at O'Hare. If you're going to get a cancelled flight, I mean, that happens a lot, but the ensuing fallout, mismanagement, and all the rest of it, it's going to happen in O'Hare. You know, I've. Word of warning. I've honestly. And the problem is, O'Hare is a a hub. It's a big connecting airport, isn't it? It's a big hub. So often you've got to fly to O'Hare to get to somewhere else. Mm. I will do everything in my power to avoid flying to O'Hare because I'm going to lose luggage, which has happened to me in O'Hare. I'm going to miss a connecting flight because the queue for just uh, getting through the security Is crazy long and not enough desks are open, which has happened to me in O'Hare. Everything that can go wrong with travel has gone wrong in O'Hare. So I do everything to avoid it. But the one time that I actually went into Chicago and just hung around, I was so looking forward to it. House of Blues, you know, Al Capone and all the things that you hear about it, all I got were pretty. I'll be honest, miserable uh, people who were so wrapped up in their own everyday lives. um, Fair enough. But I found them quite hostile and quite rude.
0: And it's the people that make a place. And it's the people
1: that make a place. Absolutely. The amount of times I would walk into a a, a shop... I. Going there, I went there with my manager. Went into a a, a, a shop, coffee shop, and that old adage of the 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 people, uh, um, two people who are serving or meant to be serving, having a conversation. And I'm standing there, they're having a conversation. I'm standing there, having their conversation, and I'm like, "Oh, excuse me, what do you want? Oh, 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 excuse me, I've just come here to be served. Sorry." (laughs)
0: You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh my god.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, um I've had people who haven't understood me so they've quite rudely asked me, you know, to 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 say something again and and then asked me if I spoke English. What? No, that's not cool. I mean, I'm I'm describing the people, you know. I I'm, I know Chicago has loads of great things about it. I know that, but the p- when you have a bad experience with humans, it
0: really does put you off of a place. Totally, it does, um, yeah. And somebody else really could does. have a completely different and um, positive experience right. with with the people. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure that they do because, in fact, Chicago is often one of the most popular cities. Um, pit, That's right. So, but it's, That's but right. it's your personal hu- human interactions. They can completely put you off a of place. It really did, because I even said to my
1: manager at the time, is it me or is everybody here just
0: not being very pleasant? They do have a long, harsh winter, don't they, as well? They do. It is cold and it is windy.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) Maybe I'll go back and have a, a whole new experience, but from airport to human interaction actually in the city... I was not a fan. I really didn't like it. I just found there was a a, a hostility that was palpable and Mm. it really did put me off. But I'd be happy to hear other people's fabulous experiences of Chicago. And, um, yeah, maybe it will help me to change my mind.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Beverly, it's been so – I mean, I feel like we could chat for – Hours about your incredible travels And it has been so lovely To chat Thank today you. We're now at the final chapter Chapter 7 oh. And that is the destination That is at the top of your travel bucket list The one
1: area of the
0: world That I haven't
1: had A chance to spend a lot of Timing is the Far East And I've been to Thailand But that was once and I thought it was incredible And I loved it but as someone who, I mean, typically, you know, I talk about food all the time, but as someone who loves the food, <laughs> you know, I love my Thai food, I love my Japanese food, I want to explore the Far East much more. From a, 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 um, a music point of view, I really want to play the Budokan in Japan. Um, I really, really want to see the Great Wall of China. I, I I've so would love to go and do that. Um, People talk about uh, Cambodia and Vietnam as being utterly beautiful. The age I am, when I think of Cambodia and I think of Vietnam, my mind instantly makes the association with war, which is not fair and not right. But, you know, that's, I can, when I was born, Vietnam was still happening. It's coming to a close, but, you know, it was still happening. And I remember, you know, the war in, in, in Cambodia and that. And so... I want to go back and dispel that from my mind entirely Mm. because everybody I know who has ever been tells me it's beautiful. And I have lots of Vietnamese friends who tell me, Bev, you've got to go. It's the most incredible country. You would love it. You'd love the food. You'd love the experience. I want to go and see, you know, Singapore and, and, and Malaysia You know, these are, I have, again, great friends who are from there. I feel a tour Um,
0: coming on, no?
1: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely, absolutely. I think
0: think you need to make it happen.
1: That is what I (laughs) want to do. I'd love to tour that part of the world, you know, go to these special countries, Indonesia and, and, and all those countries, and perform, but not only perform, because performance, often you turn up, you just see the building, the stage and then on to
0: the next and yeah. then you're off yeah.
1: yeah I'd want to go and spend time in these places and experience just a little bit of what it feels like to you know live your life there somewhere which
0: is so far away from my own experiences of life well I have absolutely no doubt that you will get there yeah, <laughs> you will because you, you have that energy yeah. that will make it happen. <laughs> it is my, my dream
1: and I will, I absolutely will make that work one day, one day soon.
0: I hope so. Oh, thank you so much, Beverly Knight. Those were your... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. glorious travel diaries it has been such a pleasure thank
1: you so much there's so many more places that I've been to in the world but if I could say anything is we live in a beautiful beautiful world and there are some beautiful places to discover so when you get the opportunity to travel take it take it and see things that you haven't seen before
0: through the eyes of people you've never met before. Mm, Beautiful words to end on. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Oh, what a lovely lady. I loved travelling the world with Beverly and her voice is something else. If you would like to hear more from Beverly, her album, The Fifth Chapter, is out now and she's currently touring the UK thanks so much for listening today. If you'd like to hear more from the podcast, don't forget to hit subscribe or if you use Apple Podcasts to press follow so that a new episode lands in your podcast app each week. If you want to be the first to find out who is joining me on next week's episode, come and follow me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein and you'll also find me on threads and TikTok. I'd love to hear from you. And if you can't wait until next week, remember, there's the first nine seasons to catch up on. That's over 100 episodes to keep you busy there. Don't forget that all the destinations mentioned by my guests are included in the episode show notes here on your podcast app and listen on my website thetraveldiariespodcast.com. Thanks again everyone, take care and I'll be back next week.